Welcome back. Current Trends in Education with Dr. Diaz. This evening, we have a special guest, Dr. Jim Knight. Jim, how are you doing? Like I said, I'm doing okay, but uh, I had my time zones backwards. I should have this figured out by now, but I had it all backwards. So, so sorry. That's all right. We're good. Listen, if you don't mind, we're going to just jump into a few things. And I have folks that are going to be calling in as well as we go. But will you just go ahead and give us your where you're at right now in your career and the work you're doing? Okay. Well, um, we've I've studied for 20 years with people at the University of Kansas and at our little organization, the Instructional Coaching Group. And uh, we've... Um, studied what it takes to integrate high quality instructional practices and research supports into um, classroom practice. And uh, we've gotten better at it year by year. Initially, we referred to it just as, I think, learning consulting. And then we said instructional collaborators and instructional coaches. Uh, around 2003, I wrote what I think is the first article in the Journal of Staff Development about instructional coaching. And then I wrote the first book that at least featured the name instructional coaching in the title. And that work's kind of popularized and grown pretty widely uh, around the world. Really, I just earlier on about 15 minutes ago, I was talking to somebody in um, Australia. So it's happening everywhere. And where I am now is um, I'm working on a book on uh, kind of summarizing all the research and um, about seven different factors that lead to high quality implementation. And I'd say the big message from our research is um, it's not likely you're going to get high quality implementation of any kind of effective practice unless there's a coaching integrated into it. So hopefully that's a good summary. Yeah, that's wow. That's that's amazing. And, and it's good. That's awesome. I, I tell you what, Jim, we we've had a few conversations prior to this. And before you entered, I mentioned to everyone a quote that was in your book in regards to principals who want to foster a culture of learning and growth need to do what they expect their teachers to do. And and you mentioned that. And then you, you also talked about principals being the guardian of the coach. Can you expound on that? Um, well, I think in particular with time, um, the principal needs to make sure the coach is actually focused on coaching. But there are many other things. I think you need to be clear on what the role of the coach is. It's probably really important that the set of beliefs that you, you have about how professionals learn lines up with the coach's set of beliefs. We would call that the partnership principles. Um, and then, um, you know, people need to know in the system that you really believe in coaching. Um, people are going to want to do what their leader or their principal does or whoever they report to. And uh, if the principal says, this is really important, it matters to me, and it's valuable, and it's going to help kids. And they demonstrate it uh, by maybe watching the coach do a model lesson or whatever they might do, make it clear they really believe in coaching, then people will do it. And... The principles, oh, we have this person, I don't know, she might be good, isn't really supportive and encouraging, there'll be less impact. But the, the most important thing is time. Uh, too often, coaches get drawn into all these other tasks. We did a sort of informal survey 
of about 500 coaches, somewhere between 300 and 500 coaches a couple of years ago. And um, like on every forum, people said the biggest obstacle was time. So if the, co- if the principal can make sure they've got time, it's going to be helpful. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, Casey was on a bit earlier and she was talking about how things are different from each campus. She, she's, goes from campus to campus and she sees it different everywhere. And that really, you know, in order to fix that in a district, I mean, that has to come from how do we go about fixing that? Have you been able to help in a district mediate that make that happen so that everyone can get into that philosophy? Well, I think, um, it's a learning issue, you know, um, if the principal, the principal, I mean, the principal wants the same thing as the coach, the best possible outcomes for kids. So um, if things aren't happening that help the coach succeed, it's really just because they haven't learned yet. And no one's, I mean, there's some people, I suppose, who are incompetent, but the real reason is just in most cases, they haven't had professional development of what coaching is. There hasn't been time spent on clarifying how the coach and principal work together. And so... um, and so that's kind of what the issue is. I think it's, it's a learning issue. So if they have professional development and uh, possibly some kind of coaching support, uh, that's probably going to be addressed in most cases. Gotcha. And, and you know what? And speaking of, instructionalcoaching.com has great, just great resources for administrators and for coaches to really steer administrators too. I, I find that big time for that. And you mentioned that partnership approach, you know, that is key when that coach goes in, starts working with the teacher and also just building trust up front. I mean, without trust, can you move a teacher? Well, I don't think we really move teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we do is we help create the conditions where the teacher can move himself or move herself. So I don't think we're the ones doing it. We're not motivating them. We're not, we're not pushing them anywhere. We're creating a position, situa- situation where they can succeed. We, we found if we try to get the teacher to do what we want to do, they generally don't want to do it. You know? um, and, and we've also found that unless the teacher sees real value in what we're sharing, the professional development, unless they have a goal that they care about deeply, we're not going to get a change in what happens with kids and we're not going to get deep quality implementation. So, so what we try to do is we, we try to help the teacher get a clear picture of current reality. And then there's a process we follow called the impact cycle to help them move forward. That's, that's kind of how we do it. And the heart of the matter, I think, is seeing the teacher as a professional, not as an unskilled laborer. We're not there to tell them what to do and line it all up for them. What we're there is to help them really realize their potential as, um, as, as professionals. And uh, a good coach has a depth of knowledge about what good teaching looks like and um, shares that knowledge um, really clearly, but does it in the service of a powerful goal. It's a student-focused goal that the teacher has set. And so we're helping the teacher accomplish her goals rather than imposing our goals on them. Nice. I love how you said that. And, you know, as, as in your book with the 
the toolkits that you have in your book with the open-ended questions and just, you know, I, I find that, you know, with that 15, 20 year vet, someone that really has a lot of experience, you go in and you get them really reflecting. They just give you all the answers that are correct. Most of the time. I, have you, have you noticed that? Um, are, I, I like, are you <laughs> pulling that out from that teacher? You're, you're really getting that teacher to reflect on what they're doing. I think, I think, I think sometimes that would happen and many people would say that happens frequently. I think sometimes you're with a teacher and, and she'll say, well, if I knew what to do, I would do it, you know? And in those cases, I think it's really helpful if we have a really deep knowledge of, uh, high impact strategies that can help teachers accomplish their goals. Now we don't say, Oh, you should do this. But we might say, do you mind if I share a couple of things I'm thinking in? What do you think about these possibilities? And it's, it's genuinely a question where they're thinking with us. So, um, so sometimes even a first-year teacher knows exactly what they need to do, although probably with first-year teachers, there's, there's other things going on. And sometimes with an experienced teacher, we're helping them address something they've wanted to address for a long time, but they just never known what to do. So I guess... Um, a simple way to put it is that every every teacher is different, and we have to we have to meet them where they are. Right, and I in your book when you talk about you know every time you walk in that room, it's like a jazz artist you know with an improv solo because <laughs> your improv you you don't know which direction you're going and where it's going to lead you. Yeah, actually, improv is a pretty good metaphor for coaching because uh, if you watch, say, improv comedians or musicians, they watch the other people on the stage really carefully and they really listen and they don't know what they're going to do until the other person does what they do. And so if it's comedy, I wait to see what that person says and then I have to, I have to come up with something really quickly. In music, I'm not a musician. Um... But in music, I would imagine what the musician has is they know how to play a whole bunch of different things. Say Eric Clapton has got all these little riffs he can do, but he doesn't know how he's going to put them all together and which way it's going to go. He has a real skill and real expertise, but the, but the, but the sound is different every time. And that's the same thing with the coach. The coach has got uh, questions that they've learned that they use, but the questions look different every time. And... And then they have expertise about instruction. And sometimes, as you said, you never even have to go there because the person already knows what to do. And other times they're going to say, well, what about this? What about that? And, and kind of share it. Nice. Well, anyone, you can hit that call button. If you have questions for Dr. Knight, by all means, hit that call button and you can ask those questions. I will keep going with a few. And oh, we have someone right now. Great. Casey, how's it going? Good. How are you? How are Hi. you, Doctor Knight? Nice to meet you. Hey, Jim works just fine. I only get Doctor. <laughs> I only get Doctor Knight when I'm in trouble. So okay. Well, you're not in trouble. Um, you made a, a really interesting comment. And I I didn't write it down, um, but you said something about you know teachers seeing themselves as you know professionals and not hourly wage earners. I can't remember 
Um, unskilled laborers. Unskilled laborers. Unskilled laborers. Um, and uh, I, I'm an educator, and I work with other educators um, kind of in a coaching capacity. My role is a little bit different. But I wonder what you see or have advice about exactly in that issue, because I don't see that especially teachers who might be struggling a little bit or are young teachers, that they're getting so much advice on, you know, self-care and drawing boundaries between your home life and your personal life, which is all valuable stuff. But when you're a middle school teacher who's a first-year teacher and has two or three preps in any discipline and you have 45 minutes to prepare, that's just not going to cut it. So how do you coach people outside of the school day to do what it takes to get done with honoring all of this stuff in their total personhood? Well, maybe you don't. I mean, um, if the coaching is going to work, it has to be perceived by the teacher as worth the time. It can't be one more thing that's added on. It has to be something that really counts. So they have to say, let's say it's a first-year teacher, they have to say, oh, I'm, um, I'm really struggling with behavior and my kids are walking all over me and I'm really stressed as I go home. And, and if you can give me anything to help me, great, let's go. You know? And then you set a goal you want to work on and you work with the goal because it really, it really matters to the person. Now, I, I personally believe improvement should be a part of the contract with teachers. There should be time built in and there should be an expectation that everybody's trying to improve. That is a defining characteristic of professionals. Professionals work at getting better at what they do. Um, you wouldn't want to take your six-year-old daughter with a fever of 104 to a doctor who says, you know, I really haven't learned much in the last 15 years, but let's just do what I've always done. You, you want to go to somebody who keeps up, who keeps getting better because a life hangs in the balance. And whether it's the operating room or the classroom, um, lives hang in the balance. And so, so people need to get better. But at the same time, it's kind of crazy to think that we can just uh, expect people to get better and not give them the opportunity, uh, give them time or um, significant planning periods to make it happen. Yeah, nice. it seems cra it seems crazy, but that's kind of how it happens in the real world sometimes, right? How do you mean? You know that that is. I mean, I agree with you one hundred and ten percent. But you know, we, uh, you know, teachers have to have a a development plan every year, and they're not given the resources to flesh out that plan. Yeah, well, I think. You, you know, you do what you do with what you've got. Uh, you work with the situation you've got, but, um, uh, but I believe strongly when you look at great settings where kids are really succeeding, the teachers have, they don't have massive class sizes and they have mm -hmm. lots of time to collaborate. So I think, you know, just getting people a fair salary is a part of that too. You know, I think 
I think if we want, if we say school is the place where we, we build our state and where we build our nation, we should be, we should be valuing it and valuing it as giving people time to improve. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, I, I got to tell you, I, the next thing I wanted to ask was in regards to surface coaching and deep coaching and um, is there a place, I, I, I guess the way, best way I can say is some, of, some coaches are stuck in surface and never go to deep coaching and then how to make that transition. Well, um, when we work with teachers, the goals we focus on have to be emotionally compelling goals for the teacher. So we have to pick something that they think about when they drive home or when they wake up in the middle of the night that's on their minds. And uh, so we're not trying to get the teacher to do anything. We're trying to say, what's the one thing we could work on that you would really, really want to work on? And then we, um, when we know that um, and we've set that goal, then the coaching process is propelled forward by the teacher, not by us. But then we need to be able to deliver. We need to help them find things that help them accomplish their goal. We need to have a process that's really clear. We need to listen to them and affirm them and um, there's really specific skills associated with that. But, but the heart of the matter is that what we do is it has to be emotionally compelling to the teachers. Now, the teachers have had years of surface professional development and they've been told what to do. They don't have a voice in what they do. You're gonna have a hard time winning them over. And so you have to seek out people one by one and you have to be good at what you do. But once teachers go, you know, this person actually made my life easier and I can reach more kids and it was really worth it, word will spread and people will wanna work with you. If you waste people's time, word will spread too. So, so the critical thing is that you're establishing goals that are, that are emotionally compelling and then you're helping people hit the goal and you help them hit the goals by having powerful teaching strategies that make a difference and you're there when they don't work at first because usually stuff doesn't work the first time through. You have to make adjustments. Right, yeah. So, How about that coach that did? All, all of a sudden you're on the campus, the coach has wasted or at least is now has burnt that bridge building with the staff and having uh, you, them having, so to speak, use for the coach, is it, is there remediation for that coach with that campus or is that time that, you know, move on and let's get someone else? Well, I'm sure there's times when you say we have to move on and get, let's get someone else. I mean, we would say the ideal characteristics of a coach are that they're very, uh, they've got their act together they're reliable, they're ambitious for change, they're on time, they don't, they don't show up late for a podcast, um, but they're, uh, they're reliable in what they do, but at the same time, they're emotionally intelligent, they're responsive to teachers, they really see the coaching through the teacher's eyes, and, and they respond to what the teacher says. And one of those things without the other is it's gonna be hard to succeed. If you're not reliable, people don't wanna waste their time. And if you're, um, if you're really ambitious, but you're not responsive to teachers, you don't listen to them, you don't hear what they're saying, you don't adapt what you do to the individual teacher, nobody's gonna want that either. So to some extent, those things are very learnable, but I'm sure there are people for whom it's just coaching isn't really the right job for them, just like 
for some people, maybe teaching isn't the right job. For some people, being a principal isn't the right job, you know. But I also uh, believe um, most, most of what a coach does is learnable. And if you have someone who's open to learning, I guess you could call it a growth mindset, you've probably got a good chance of having somebody who can succeed. Right. Okay. Well, I got to tell you, everyone, it's instructionalcoaching.com. You've got to check that website out. It is a uh, great resource. We're here with Dr. Jim Knight, and uh, Jim just said it the way it is for for coaches on campus. And as far as, you know, working with teachers and speaking to them properly and understanding and listening. Now, listening is, it seems like that's where the critical component is. Right, Jim? Well, listening and questions uh, would be important, particularly in the goal setting phase. But once you've identified a strategy the teacher wants to work on, um, you got to be able to, it's a sophisticated skill to be able to describe a practice in a way that the teacher feels their voice matters in the discussion. We would call it dialogue. But, um, so that's a really important skill. But, you know, when you think of coaching, and the thing is people give lip service to listening, but really listening, you know, you, you, you don't interrupt, you don't complete people's sentences, you don't tell them the words they're thinking of, you don't try to figure out what you're going to say next while they're talking. You just let them talk and let them have, my friend Christian Van Neuerberg says, give them the space to, to do important thinking. Um, that a coach should do their best thinking during coaching. And so just give them the space to think by um, leaving some silence after they ask questions or after they make statements. So I'd say listening is really critical and, and having the right questions and asking effective questions is really critical for for large aspects of what a coach does. Right. Uh, we, we're, so we're talking about the coach. Now, I, I wanted to get on this point. We have, some, um, we have some schools that they don't have funding for coaching. The, or, or let's just say the, fin, the principal decides that, well, I'm gonna place funding elsewhere. I'm gonna be the coach. Is that, uh, is that option, does it work well? Have you seen that work well? How does that look in what you've seen? Well, the first thing I'd say is, um, it's not that they don't have funding, it's that, that just as you nicely said, they've placed their priorities somewhere else. They probably got athletic coaches. So I'm not saying you should cut athletic coaches to have instructional coaches, but you know, um, when people say they don't have the money, what they're really saying is our priorities are, we're spending our money in a different way. Um, but let's say it's a really small school and you have a principal and there's really not gonna be another coach uh, or for whatever reason, it's just not possible to have a coach. Um, the trouble with uh, the principal being the coach, there's just a couple of things and there are things the principal can do, but the trouble is first off, people know the principal is gonna evaluate them. And so that, um, alters the nature of the conversation. Um, you're less candid with somebody who evaluates you. It's just the way it is. And um, people have told me that when they became principals, that their conversations with teachers changed. It just felt different the way they interacted. Um, and the other, but the more important thing really than that, because I think it's possible that a principal could 
the breakthrough, but I just don't think the principal's got time. I mean, there are so many things the principal has to do. Um, in you know, I think if you were to ask principals, most of them would say, um, I'm behind, I, I need more time. I can't keep up with the emails and the meetings and the sporting events and all the things I have to participate in. And uh, I can't even find time to do the walkthroughs I want to do sometimes. So the bigger issue is time. Uh, I think that's what stands in the way. But I do think while a principal can't um, maybe do instructional coaching where you're helping teachers learn new practices, modeling in the classroom, or go and watch another class and problem solving when the strategy doesn't work and setting really powerful goals, uh, what you can do is uh, take a coaching approach, which is to be a good listener, to ask good questions, and to do some elements of the impact cycle. Maybe help teachers set goals, even if you're not able to describe the practice and set up a way for the teacher to see it and to problem solve afterwards. So you can take some elements of coaching. And I think that's a great way to make um, the conversations between teachers and um, principals be a lot more effective because what are, if you take the coaching approach, what you're saying is, um, I, as the principal is, I see you as capable of solving your own problems. And, you know, I believe in you and I'm going to support and encourage you. So um, that's the way I, I sort of see it. All right. Anyone, if you have a question, please hit call. Call in. If you want to type that question in the chat, go ahead and do that. Well, I tell you, you mentioned a few things. And in regards to... Uh, the coach working with that teacher, and let's just say the coach, uh, they're going to model, model for the teacher. Where's the best place for that? Should that take place in front of students? Should that take place with just the teacher? What's the best scenario starting out in this type of, with modeling? Yeah, I would say, first off, we have a goal the teacher wants to hit. The goal is either going to be an achievement goal or an engagement goal. Engagement's really important because the reason kids drop out is because of lack of engagement. Um, so it's either going to be an engagement or a goal or an achievement goal, but the teacher set a goal. And now the teacher wants to learn a strategy uh, to help them hit the goal. So we know where we want to get to. We need a pathway to that goal. So uh, we're not talking the teacher into doing gradual release. We're we're doing gradual release because we have an achievement goal and we think if we do more modeling, it'll be helpful to the kids. Now the teacher's gonna say, it's gonna be really helpful if I could see that. Now, if they don't care about the goal, they don't really care if they see the model because they're not gonna implement, but if they really wanna implement, they're gonna say, it would help me if I could see it. And we can, that could happen in lots of different ways. <clears throat> it could be the coach goes in the teacher's classroom and models the practice. Uh, it could be they co-teach. Maybe the coach doesn't understand the content very well, but she knows how to make the cooperative learning structure work. So she's going to set up the cooperative learning structure and the teacher's going to teach the content. Could be the coach models the practice without kids in the classroom. So uh, she says, let me show you what this I do it, we do it, you do it would, like, would look like. And we'll just imagine the kids are here and stop me if anything's confusing, but I'll sort of show you kind of what it would look like. Could be they go see another teacher, do it. Let's say it's behavior, and they want to go see how a teacher um, reinforces and corrects students. Or it could be that they watch a video. 
So there's lots of ways that modeling can happen. What we found is you need to work with the teacher to figure out what the best kind of modeling is. For example, if the problem is behavior, if the classroom has real classroom management issues, we don't think it really makes sense to go in and model in the teacher's classroom. Because if you go in and you take control, the kids look at you and go, wow, the coach has got us under control, but the teacher can't do it. You actually erode the teacher's power base. And if you go in and you don't take control, all you can say is, um, uh, you know, it is tough or something. <laughs> you, you really don't learn a whole lot from it, you know? Uh, so to me, um, there are lots of ways it can happen, but probably the person does have to see it. And, you know, we just say to the teacher often, what would be most helpful to you? Would you like me to do it with your kids? There is power in seeing your kids do it with another teacher. And I just, we just introduce it to the, to the kids. This is, in my case, this is Dr. Knight. He's here. He's going to try this thing out. We've been talking about it. We just want to see how it goes. It's no big deal. And <coughs> you don't have to be, you should be competent, but I don't think you should go in and, and do something that, that the teacher doesn't have time to plan. Like you shouldn't take eight hours to plan this spectacular lesson to blow the kids away. Cause if one child says to you, could you be our teacher the rest of the year? You'll never get back in. So you just go in and just say, I'm just going to try this thing. Let's see how it goes. And and do it, but you have to kind of pick and choose your places. The same thing for if you're if you're not really good at the content, maybe rather than doing the whole lesson, you could co-teach. You know, you have to pick and choose. Okay. All right. Again, we're with Dr. Jim Knight, and you can check out instructionalcoaching.com. And everyone, if you have, if you want to call in, by all means, hit that call button. You mentioned that video, and when we're looking at identify, that video is pretty impactful when the teacher starts to watch their moves in the classroom or what they're doing. Uh, what type? What have you seen in regards to the video? Is that the best? Is that the best route to go? Letting them observe themselves. I would really recommend it highly. Um, the trouble is, uh, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. It, it could be the way you talk to your partner. It could be the way you lead as principal or lead a meeting. Um, people don't really have a clear picture of what it looks like when they do what they do. You know, the thing of hearing your voice on a tape recording and how it doesn't really sound like what you expected. Well, watching yourself do your thing on video is, is like that to the power of 10. That's why probably every middle school football team in America um, watches video of their games because the video really shows you what's going on in ways you can't see when you're playing the game. So um, it may not always be necessary. And there are other ways you can get a clear picture of current reality. You can look at student work. Um, you can interview the students. But let's say you just say, let's just look at the work and see how they're doing. Well, video might show you and this is not uncommon, that 30% of the class is non-instructional. So 30% is wasted time. Well, you watch the video and you go, I can't believe how much wasted time there is. And really quickly, the coach and teacher figure out how to teach expectations to not waste the time. You add like 25% instructional time. That's like a quarter of the year has been added to the, to the thing because of the video. So video is a really powerful, a really powerful learning tool. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why, that's why every athlete probably watches herself or watches himself on video. 
Yeah. And, and it is a great practice. Uh, I know as a, when I was in the classroom, my former life, I was a band director. I recorded almost, you know, every rehearsal I had, I would go back and listen and see what, you know, what I could do to better. And then of course, for my ears with the group, because there's so many things I missed and, uh, and by all means, video is, is amazing. We have a question on the board and it's, how do you begin utilizing video in a school or as a district with instructional coaching? Well, one of the things we found is it varies more by school than it does by person. So you'll see um, the whole school, everybody's watching themselves on video or a whole school, nobody's doing it or maybe one person's doing it. So if nobody in your school wants to do it, it's probably not because of the people in the school. It's probably got something to do with the lack of psychological safety. Maybe people don't feel trust. Uh, maybe people have had some experience previously that makes them feel unsafe, but they, they don't feel safe. So, um, so I think you want, to, you want to first off step back and say, you know, why wouldn't people want to watch themselves on video? Where's it coming from? Where's that lack of psychological safety? And I've written about, in better conversations, I've written about trust. And if people don't feel you have their best interest at heart, they don't feel you're being honest, they feel a lack of warmth, um, you know, they're not going to be, feel that open to doing it. And so you have to try to figure out what the case is. Um, I think... Um, Sometimes it is just that this is a whole new thing and it's a lot to ask people. You know, we have defense mechanisms for a reason. It helps us get through work. It helps us get through complex and difficult times. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to have defense mechanisms. And, but video is going to cut through those defense mechanisms. So people are going to be a little nervous about seeing things kind of in its raw reality. Ultimately, though, if you want to get good at what you do, you, you have to know where you are. You can't, you can't really hide from reality. So, so I think uh, finding some people to do the video, thinking about who are the people in this system that others really respect. And so if you can go to a teacher who's an informal leader in the school, who's successful, and you say, would you be willing to try out this video thing? Because I think if you do it, other people will do it. And then they see, well, Elena's doing it, so... I guess if she's doing it, it can't be all bad. And then you spread the word through maybe informal meetings. Um, it can catch on, it can grow, but it's not gonna grow if there's some, like if you have a principal who really embarrasses people and calls them out, doesn't treat them with respect, and they don't feel psychologically safe, unless he or she changes the, their behavior, it's gonna be hard to get it. That all psychological right. safety is critical for learning. Oh yeah. And, and I tell you what, I, I live that, you know, just get one to buy in and let the word spread because. Right. And I think picking the right person is really important. I think because you could, sometimes people will do it, but if that person isn't seen as credible and a leader, it's not really going to be helpful to you. So you want to pick the person that other people say, Oh man, well, you know, if Raymond did it, I should do it too. Great point. Great point. We have a question here on the board. It's how do you tell the difference between a lack of trust and a lack of interest? Um, well, 
I, I don't believe in the vast majority of cases. Um, let's just talk about lack of interest. What, what motivates people is a discrepancy between reality and a goal. So um, if I found out tomorrow that uh, if I don't change my diet, my health is really, really at risk, um, I would be motivated to change my diet. Or if someone said, if you do this, it's really going to make you happy. And I could see what they were saying was true. And I thought, that's true. If I accomplish that goal, that will really make a difference. Then we're motivated to change. And the literature on change, and particularly an approach called motivational interviewing, a motivation requires a discrepancy between where we are and where we want to get to. But what happens is we, we get... Um, in there and we sort of mess up our picture of reality. We don't have a clear picture of goal. Uh, we don't have a, a clear picture of the goal or um, we sort of explain away the situation by blaming other people and so forth. And so if there's a lack of interest, if the person can get a clear picture of reality or the person can get a, uh, a really sharply defined goal that, they, that matters a lot to them and they believe they can accomplish it, and then, then you've got a chance to move forward. The literature on hope says hope involves three things. Something we're hoping for, you could call that a goal. A belief that we can hit that goal, that usually means there's pathways to the goal. And agency, which is a belief that our pathways will take us there. So if you can show a person a goal that really matters to them, or you can help them see that their reality has to change and not have them be able to sort of hide themselves from reality, but really see it, and you can show them a pathway to the goal, then you're going to have hope and then you're going to have a better chance of change. Great. Oh, man. That, uh, I tell you what, talking to you is just inspiring as can be. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I mentioned to you before, the impact cycle is one amazing read and what you offer in that book with the toolkits for coaches and just to open up, it open up, it opens up the world. It's like the full curriculum set every coach needs in every school that's going to help them become successful. So I, I really appreciate what you've done for coaching and instructional coaches. Well, we're just trying to really, we're just trying to keep, keep moving forward as best we can. And uh, I would say the big message we would communicate is um, if you want great teachers, your professional development and your whole system has to communicate that you believe in your teachers and you treat them like professionals. If you treat teachers like they're just being told what to do to stock shelves at Walmart or something, um, you shouldn't be surprised if they say to you, just tell me what to do and I'll do it, and they lose their motivation. But in my experience, when teachers are respected, and not everybody is the same, I mean, in any situation, there's, there's different people, but in the vast majority of cases, teachers chose teaching to make a difference. And when they're given tools that work in a way that respects them, and you, and you bring them together with others who respect them, they'll, they'll blow you away. That's the way, the way I see it. All right. Well, I, I got to tell you, so when 
we're in this changing environment where everyone's going online and uh, everyone's working, you know, now from home and teachers now are being monitored through systems and everyone wants to make sure their teachers are doing their hours and, and calculating and, and checking on them. Uh, does that break down some of that trust on campus or does that break down the I'm a professional? How does, how, you know, what are the best routes to level that out for everyone? Well, what we found, we, we're do, doing a survey now of coaches and if there's coaches checking in here, and we'd love it if you did the survey. Um, so um, we're just trying to figure out what coaches are doing. But as we've looked at the data now, we've, as, as my uh, researcher says, we've crossed the family feud threshold of over 100 responses. Um, people said that 4% of their time is spent on coaching cycles. The coaches aren't, aren't spending any time on coaching. So they're just helping people get through this really crazy and difficult time. And my take on this is this is, this is really, you know, everybody is a new teacher. Everybody, this is their first year. This is really hard. Not to mention the fact that some people's partners have lost their job. Some people are trying to teach their three kids at home at the same time as they do their job. This is really hard. And to me, the best we can do right now is just affirm people and say, let's just get through this one. This is, this is crazy. We can, we can figure more out later on, but right now let's just get through it. And to me, um, the most important thing we can do is to let people know it's okay. And that, um, and this is hard and, and we're with you in this, you know, the most important thing a coach might be able to do right now might not be sure it's going to be helpful if you can show them how to use some technology, but, um, the most important thing might be um, just to say, it's okay. I'm with you, you know. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm, I've been, uh, I'm a coach, instructional coach in Pasco County Schools. And I work at a high school. And f since we've gone online, I've been doing triage on just getting folks online. I've been working, just getting to understand systems. I've been putting time where it's needed the most. And I told, I told my boss, I said, you know what, next week we're going to get to the point where I can start coaching again. And, mm -hmm. and now I set out my goals of where I need to start and where I need to help folks and where we're going to go. And fortunately I've had Bonnie Wartenberger. Uh, I've been working with her and, um, Florida virtual. I've been uh, working in online. So I've built up quite a bit of uh, understanding of this distance learning as I've been doing it. So I, I tell you that transition for folks from, from that into start coaching, finding those best practices, coaches start researching, looking into how you're going to help. And, and in our county, we're getting Zoom meetings once a week with district level coaches that are helping us and giving great advice. And then we can start helping our teachers. And just because it's from brick and mortar to online, the best practices still apply. And there's, you know, how do you feel about that? You know, those best practices still apply. Um, I don't know. I really don't. Um, 
That sounds good. You know, I, I think I agree with it theoretically, but I don't feel I know enough to give you an honest answer. This time period, I was thinking about this. You're probably too young to remember this, Raymond, but you remember Bo Jackson? I sure do, yes. So I remember they used to have, Nike used to have a commercial that was Bo Knows. And so they would show Bo, uh, you know, hitting a home run. And then they would show him playing football. And then they would show them doing track or long jump or something. And they had all these different things. And he just, in every one of these activities, he just blew it away. Ballet, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and then, then they have one where he's ice skating. Yeah. And he can barely stand up. And he goes, no. And I kind of feel like right now, everybody is ice skating. And so whatever it takes to get across the ice is all that matters. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and uh, so it's truly triage still. And it most likely like that on most campuses, I'm sure our coaches are, are feeling that, you know, they're still trying to keep up with technology and, and the tough parts of this. Um, especially as sometimes they start throwing new stuff at you and you haven't even mastered what you have. So right. that's been the challenge. I think you want to find the people who are successful and find out what they're doing and connect them with other people. I think that's one of the most important things a coach can do. Um, it's the whole idea of what they call positive deviance. Who's successful at this and how can we learn from them and how can we spread the word Right now, maybe a big job for a coach, if they have the time to do it, is to be connectors, to connect others up with, oh, this person's really doing really well at this Google tool, so let's, let's have them tell others how to use it. Great, great. And uh, listen, Jim, it is awesome talking with you. And you've really opened a lot of things just for me thinking and how to go about with coaching and where I'm going to go. And now I definitely know I, I had a conversation earlier today where I said, you know what? I want to do a live podcast where I bring the top online teachers and we just have a discussion on, you know, how we, how our class functions and what we're doing that really is engaging students and motivating and those things. So I appreciate it, man. We're, we're almost out of time. If there are any questions, hit that call button. We're talking with Jim Knight with instructionalcoaching.com. And Jim, thank you for everything. Um, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you joining us on this conversation. Well, thank you. And uh, sorry, again, that I screwed up on the time. I'll be embarrassed about that for a few days now. So sorry about that. But I'm, I'm going to clip all those out so that we don't <laughs> podcast. <laughs> because if you didn't make it late <laughs> in my podcast. That won't happen when it <laughs> publishes. All right. <laughs> well, then let me say again, just uh, I enjoyed the conversation. And, well, you know, one thing I'll say to close is that I do. I really believe, first off, if I'm going to learn something, it's going to really help me if I have someone who can help me work through the process. They're not going to waste my time. They're really going to give me tools to help me succeed. So it's helpful to have that person. And I don't really think we can just pick stuff up and do it. There's just too much going on. And the second thing is, if you choose to be a coach, it's hard to get a, a gauge on your impact because it's much greater than you think it is. Because let's say I have a teacher who's struggling with engagement in the classroom and I help her figure out some strategies to increase engagement. Well, it's just not this year's students. It's every other student that teacher teaches, maybe for the next 30 years. Mm 
So the potential for impact is huge. If you want to make a difference in the world, it's hard to come up with a better thing you could do than to be a person who helps people get better given, given the lifetime of the impact you have. Yeah, I, I, I tell you, bon, Bonnie just wrote on here, um, she thinks it's important to remind teachers uh, who are now teaching virtually that they impact, wait, their impact is still mm -hmm. real as being in the physical classroom. And that is true. And making those connections, you can still make them. And with the students, you're still going to, uh, and I got to tell you, I have students that send me pictures they they tell and and i teach different courses and with driver's ed they even contact me after they've taken the test to tell me they passed it first time so i you know those contacts and and the connections you make with students are still very deep and real well jim it has been awesome i appreciate everything everyone has said thank you on here uh, you're you're an inspiration i'm going to keep pushing your book out to everyone and telling them how awesome it is. I, I do want to clarify, I am not part of the instructional coaching group. I don't get paid for any of this. In fact, this is my, uh, this is my new hobby and it's trying to connect educators with other educators and listening and talking and collaborating so that we can all become better. So, Jim, thank you so much. I'm going to hit this outro music and sort of head out so this can hit on the podcast, okay? Thanks again. It was a real pleasure to have the conversation. Sure enough, man. I appreciate it. What a great time I had talking with Jim Knight. and Dr. Knight is with the Instructional Coaching Group. You can check out the resources at instructionalcoaching.com. What we gathered from this podcast is to better ourselves, we all need coaching. And check out resources with instructionalcoachinggroup.com. If your school district has instructional coaching, give them a shot. Make sure you listen. Keep an open mind so you can improve. Go through an impact cycle. Identify, learn, and improve on your craft. We all can do that. I appreciate everyone that interacted in this podcast. Thank you so much, and uh, I appreciate you.